I have expectations when it comes to hotel and motel rooms. I have some expectations. I expect that hotel motel room to be clean. I expect there to be a bed, a table, a chair. I expect all the stuff in the bathroom to work properly and be clean. But in the summer of 1991, these expectations were challenged. Jenny and I decided to take a road trip in a tiny car with our best friends from college. And so we traveled historic U.S. Route 6 from Chicago to Connecticut for a wedding. Now, U.S. Route 6 passes just to the south of West Point, New York, home of the West Point Military Academy. And apparently at the end of the summer, the very same weekend as this wedding in Connecticut, the West Point Military Academy hosts Parent Weekend. And it's the first time that parents can see their kids, can see their cadets who have now been at West Point for months. It's huge. Our plan, the day of the wedding, was to, when the wedding was over, head to Western New York and spend the night somewhere in a hotel in Western New York. Well, drove along and we stopped, no vacancy. We got back in the car, we drove along, we stopped, and no vacancy. Got back in the car, we drove along, we stopped, and no vacancy. Finally, we get to this place, this stop that has the dew drop in. And as we're getting out of the car, there's a guy getting out of a station wagon who he's got a family with him and it's clear he's a dad. And, and we ask him, which direction are you heading? And he says, oh, I'm heading east. And we say, oh, we're heading west. And, and after we talk, we figure out that there are no hotel rooms either direction for miles. And, and so if there are rooms at the do drop in, that's our only choice. I'm only going to share two details about our stay that night. One, our room had rusted out appliances with critters that were being stored in the motel room. <laughs> and then every single one of us, all four of us, wore our socks to walk into the shower to take a shower and to get out of the shower. So we, we showered in our socks. The floor was so dirty and so sticky. And when we left that motel, we threw our socks away. William Shakespeare wrote this, expectation is the root of all heartache. <laughs> I mean, what does Bill know anyway? I mean, the guy killed off Romeo and Juliet. I remember reading that for the first time, getting to the end and thinking, Bill, you're doing it wrong. I mean, at least give them a honeymoon, give them something. But, you know, they die. They both die. Expectation is the root of all heartache. Now, expectations can create some big time disappointment, can't they? 
Some of you have planned a trip. You've decided that you were going to rent a cabin in Gatlinburg or Pigeon Forge. And you were so excited because on the website it said, this cabin is secluded. And the pictures made it seem like it was secluded. But when you got to the cabin, you realized that there were five other cabins literally kissing this one and that when you go out onto the hot tub, you're literally looking over the other cabin's deck and you realize, oh, the cluster of cabins is secluded from town. That's what they meant. And then you got expectations that happen in relationships. You get married to somebody and there's the whole, I thought you were going to do the dishes. Oh, I thought you were going to do the dishes and out come the knives. Now, why would I be teaching on expectations? Well, because it's Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is the last week of Jesus' life and ministry. And it is a week filled with expectations. And so here's today's bottom line. Jesus, Jesus isn't always going to do or be what you expect. And that's actually a good thing. Jesus isn't always going to do or be what you expect. And that's actually a good thing. Matthew chapter 21 records Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The Sunday of Jesus' last week. And this is Matthew chapter 21. As Jesus... And the disciples approached Jerusalem. They came to the town of Beit Fage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you'll see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone asks what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over the colt and Jesus sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And others cut branches from the trees and, and spread them out on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, Jesus approached Jerusalem from the east by way of Jericho. And this is the same route that Jesus describes in telling the story of the Good Samaritan. It's six to eight hours of walking, mostly uphill. And so when you reach the Mount of Olives, 
you can see Jerusalem. You can see the Temple Mount. You can see the walls because there's a valley between the Mount of Olives and the eastern side of Jerusalem. So Jesus tells his, a couple of his disciples to go into the town of what we say Bethphage, Bethphage. But as with many things in English, we just butcher it. It's really Beit Fage, Beit Fage, house of the early fig, because at the bottom of this valley between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem was a fig grove, a grove of fig trees. And so Jesus tells his disciples, just say, Kurios, the Lord, Kurios needs them. Kurios needs them. Jesus has somehow prearranged for this set of donkeys to be used for his entry into Jerusalem. The same way that later in the week he's already prearranged for the upper room for, for Jesus and his friends to celebrate the Passover meal together. I mean, this is James Bond type stuff. The code word is kurios. James Bond type stuff. This is Jedi type stuff. The Lord needs them. Oh, the Lord needs them. Take the donkeys. Like, I mean, this is weird. Everything that Jesus is doing here in this chapter, in this moment, is intentional. Now, we know from archaeologists that Jerusalem had a population of about 50,000 people in the first century. But when it was Passover week, 150,000 additional people would pour into Jerusalem and all the towns around Jerusalem and they would camp out for the week of Passover. You got to think Wilmore back in the day when they had the Ichthus Festival or Chicago on July 4th weekend when there's the taste of Chicago and the big fireworks. Lots and lots of extra people who, by the way, we're always wondering if this would be the Passover year where the Messiah shows up. Is this the year? And they were pretty convinced that this year right here, this was the year because news of the raising of Lazarus from the dead had spread all over. And people were like, oh, this is it. So, so Jesus arranges for this donkey and colt Two animals. Why? Well, for starters, an unbroken colt is best controlled by having its mother ride alongside it to calm it. So Jesus is riding the colt, the baby donkey, while its mother is riding alongside. A colt is what King David rode into Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 16 after his son's failed rebellion. A colt is what King Solomon rode into Jerusalem to be crowned king. And in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, a colt is what the prophet says the Messiah will ride into Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look. Your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king, 
your king will bring peace to the nations. Jesus is claiming to be the Davidic Messiah by riding into Jerusalem on this colt. And no one is mistaking what Jesus is claiming. They throw down their cloaks. They throw down their outer garments onto this muddy, dusty road so that Jesus, riding this baby donkey, can trample on them. And they cut down palm branches. Palm branches were a symbol of Israel's national identity. Palm branches appeared in Israeli coins. Palm branches were a feature, kind of like the American eagle would be a symbol of America, right? Palm branches are huge. And so they believe, the crowd believes that Jesus is in fact king. He is the messianic king they've been waiting for. Now in this large crowd are all kinds of different people. The, The 12 disciples are there. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are there making this entry into Jerusalem. Can you imagine the people who are like, whoa, wait a minute. Is is that the Lazarus we've been hearing about? Dude, were you really dead? Instagram photo. Like people would have been excited. The disciples from Jerusalem have come out to meet them. And all of the crowds that had been gathering when Jesus taught publicly or when big miracles took place are part of this large group entering the city. And yes, in this crowd are religious leaders, and they're there to watch and observe and report what Jesus was saying and doing. And the crowd shouts, Hosanna. Hosanna, save us. It's from the Hallel, this section of... uh, Psalm 113 to 118, where we get the word hallelujah, hallel. Psalm 118, verse 25, Hosanna, please, Lord, save us. Please, Lord, give us success. Hosanna. All of this is so different from how Jesus has rolled up to this point. Up to this point, every time somebody figures out or names Jesus as the Messiah, you know what Jesus does? Jesus says, shh, shh, shut up. Don't say anything, shh. Mark chapter one, suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the holy one sent from God. Jesus cut him short, be quiet. Mark chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus has healed this young girl. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kurum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and amazed. But Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. Matthew, or Mark chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus... And his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. And others say, You're one of the other prophets. And Jesus asked them, But who do you say I am? Peter replied, You're the Messiah, the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell 
anyone. In Matthew chapter 21, on Palm Sunday, riding on that donkey's colt, Jesus is now embracing publicly what he has shushed everyone along the way prior to this moment. He is now uh, riding into Jerusalem and, and stating for everyone, I am the direct fulfillment of the prophecy and, and all of the things that are in the scriptures about the coming of the Messianic King. And I, I got to wonder what people in the crowd were expecting in that moment. I mean, some of them had to be expecting that Jesus would lead a successful revolt against Rome and liberate Judea. Some of them had to be expecting that Jesus was going to take up a literal throne somewhere in Jerusalem and usher in a new golden age, like the age of David or Solomon. Many of those people were hoping and expecting that Jesus would be a liberator. But Jesus knows, riding into the city, that he's going to die. And he's going to die a criminal's death on a cross. I thought you'd change things by now, Jesus. I don't see how this makes any sense, Jesus. Oh, this is not how I would do things, Jesus. <laughs> what was that line from Shakespeare? Expectation is the root of all heartache. In, in light of all of these expectations on that Palm Sunday, I got to ask a couple of questions. Have you ever been disappointed by God? I have. Have you ever been disappointed by God? Have you ever expected God to do something he simply didn't do? And then, has God ever exceeded your expectations? Has God ever gone above and beyond what you had expected or hoped for? Let me suggest a couple of ways that you and I can take this home. First of all, you got to allow Jesus to be Jesus. Allow Jesus to be Jesus. We Americans have a host of expectations about Jesus that don't exactly line up with the Jesus of the Gospels. There's Democrat Jesus, who's totally against Wall Street and Amazon and is totally for reducing our carbon footprint. There's Republican Jesus, who is against tax increases and is totally for activist judges, owning guns, and preserving family values. There's therapist Jesus, who helps us recover from our past and tells us not to be too hard on ourselves. There's, there's open-minded Jesus who loves everybody all the time, no matter what, except for the people who are not near as open-minded as you are. <laughs> there's touchdown Jesus who's helping athletes run faster and jump higher and achieve their best. There's spirituality Jesus who hates religion and the church and wants to help people discover their true selves and live that truth. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to become a better person. We Americans have all kinds of expectations about Jesus. One way to allow Jesus to be Jesus 
is to read the Gospel of Matthew and ask the simple question that was asked on Palm Sunday, who is this man? Well, who does Matthew say he is? Who is Jesus, really? And then, secondly, recognize that wants and needs and needs and wants get mixed up because we're Americans. Because we're Americans, everything's a need. Oh, I need a break. I need you to do what I've asked. I need this offer to come through. <laughs> Jesus comes to us in ways we don't expect to give us what we truly need. We need to be saved, often from ourselves. We need to be redeemed. We need to be born again. We need to be sanctified. That's what we really need. Hosanna, save us. You know, it's no coincidence that on the heels of people shouting, save us, Jesus goes straight to the temple and drives out the merchants and the money changers. I'm going to tell you this straight up. When Jesus rides into your life, it's always on his terms. And when he rides into your life, he will go straight to the human heart to clean it out. I know this firsthand. <laughs> when, we, when we launched Generations Community Church, I had some expectations. I fully expected that I would be earning a full-time wage by year three. I actually expected that Generations would be a church of at least 300 people by year five. What I have found is that God exceeded, in other words, God surpassed my feeble and lame expectations. I now serve a congregation that doesn't care about American notions of success. Thank you, Generations Community Church. I now serve a congregation that doesn't care about American notions of success. I serve a congregation that cares about me as a person and not just what I can do for the church as a pastor. Is Generations perfect? <laughs> no way. But God has exceeded my expectations. Again, Jesus isn't always going to do or be what you expect. And that's actually a good thing.